last three weeks have been uh, a mountaintop experience, the pastor's series on generations. If you missed it, look at the recording. Uh, he cast vision for us, which is what an under-shepherd, a pastor of a church is to do. And boy, did he hear from God. And it was confirmed last week, uh, a marvelous outpouring of grace through giving by the members of Sagemont Church, which is typical of the history of Sagemont Church. And so it was another, I think, milestone landmark event uh, in our uh, church body. You'll hear a little more about the specifics of it later on today, but it was a wonderful time. In the series, the pastor spoke to us generations, seasons in the life of a church and uh, the strong interest we as a church body ought to have in finishing well. We have a great legacy. We want to preserve it and also ensure a great future. And so it applied what he had to say to us as a body, but I also found application, I bet you did too, with regard to my own life, finishing well. Uh, I want to do it. In fact, if you care to pray for me, uh, that's the thing I'd like for you to pray. Uh, that I would finish well. Why do I ask for it? Because folks, men and women, really high caliber men and women, folks who, at least based on appearances, are better folks than me, many have not finished well. And that tells me I'm vulnerable also. I don't mind telling you I'm afraid. I don't want to besmirch the, the reputation of Christ with whom I identify. I don't want to bring shame upon my family nor upon this particular church, but I think I have the capacity to because the spirit, though he be willing, uh, is contrasted with the flesh, mine, which is uh, a little different. So if you want to pray for me, please pray that. And while you're praying that I would finish well, do the same for you uh, because you're faced with the same challenges in this life as I am. Well, the pastor took us through in his first message in the series, 2 Timothy chapter 4, wherein he called attention to someone who really did finish well. You remember, that's the Apostle Paul. Let me refresh your memory. It says of him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, um, excuse me, verse 7, he, Paul, fought the good fight. Do you remember when our pastor emphasized that just fighting is not a virtue in and of itself? Uh, fighting is a good thing if you're in the good fight. Paul was. Fight the good fight. He said, I did. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Really, the faith kept him. Marvelous, marvelous example of a dedicated, devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who finished the course well. But in contrast to Paul, this is bad news, in the same passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, now verse 10, we read of somebody else. Here it is. For Demas, that's his name, having loved this present world, has deserted me, Paul says. He's deserted me. And he went to a place called Thessalonica. On the one hand, Paul ran the race with endurance, but this other, Demas, did not. I want to know more about him, but we're limited because in all of Scripture, he's only mentioned here and two other times, three times in all the New Testament. Here they are. The first reference to Demas is in Philemon chapter 1, verse 24. Look what it says, Mark. Aristarchus, there he is, Demas, Luke, 
my, Paul says, my fellow workers. The second time Demas is mentioned is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. And then this third occurrence of his name is the verse under consideration for us today, 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas having loved this present world. Can you see the drift, the progression? It's subtle, but take a look at it. Demas goes from being one of Paul's fellow workers to simply Demas, and then finally, sadly, he's characterized as one who is a lover of this present world. How did the progressive drift away from his mooring point happen? Slowly, subtly. Here is a young man with a bright future and great potential, but it wasn't realized. Can you see why I say I'm terrified? I don't want to go the way of Demas, nor should you. Now, finishing well is something very relevant to folks my age, because folks my age, and there are some here, are closer to the finished line. But please don't exclude yourself from this necessity if you're younger. Demas was younger. If you're younger and a follower of Jesus, you too are filled with potential and great possibilities, which I'm sure you don't want to squander. You want to realize. So we want to learn from Demas's negative example. What in the world happened? Well, I think I know what happened. Life happened. I think life disappointed him. I hate to say this, but I think even his Christian life, in some measure, seems to have disappointed him. Here's what I mean. He was a a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, mentored by Paul himself, the great apostle, evangelist, missionary, and he saw all that Paul experienced, my goodness deprivation, persecution, mistreatment, imprisonment. And I think Demas perhaps said, not for me. That's not what I signed up for. I, I'm looking for a pain-free life in Christ, not a life like this. You know, there's a brand of evangelism that I think Uh, leads people like Demas astray. It's the brand of evangelism that says, upon accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord, you will now be assured of a problem and pain-free existence. Oh, that's a terrible thing to tell someone it's just not true. I have the privilege of being part of the counseling staff team at the Sagemont Counseling Center. What a great team of Christian counselors who are there under the leadership of Mike Schumacher, who's been leading us in this regard for 20 years, making sure that distinctively Christian counsel is imparted to members of this church and the entire community. That's what Schumacher has done. It's a wonderful place, and there we have the privilege of meeting with Christians, fully redeemed, saved, devoted, and dedicated, and yet still struggling with hurts. Hurts in their present life, hurts having to do maybe with wounds in the past, still yet unresolved. These are Christians who are not having a crisis of faith. They're Christians like you and I who are having a crisis of emotion. And so this notion, accepting Christ and it'll be peaches and cream for you, smooth sailing, seems not to be consistent with reality. 
That is true when we accept Christ. Oh my goodness, I'm not minimizing it. The blessings are magnificent. Alienation from God, which has been our fundamental problem, is resolved and suddenly we're reconciled to God. Sins are covered in our future. In heaven is assured, nothing to sniff at. But it's also true that when we accept Christ, not only do many of our aches and pains not go away, we become subject to new ones. I remember before I knew Christ, I fit in perfectly well with friends and family. I conformed to all of their attitudes about life and morals and ethics. But upon accepting Christ, I found myself with a different mindset and value system. And it began to separate me from the crowd around me. Then I began to be, you've experienced this, the object of insult and dis. Dismissal and, uh, in some cases, disgust. My goodness, accepting Christ not only did not give me a problem-free existence, it kind of added to my burden in some way. In fact, this ought to be no surprise, that is to say that following Christ brings a measure of persecution. Do you like to claim the promises of the Bible? Let me give you one nobody claims. Here it is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all, all means all, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, I hope it's you, here's the promise, will be persecuted. That's what it says. Maybe, therefore, Demas caved in under the reality of persecution for bearing the cross of Christ. Maybe he grew weary of it all. We can call it the threat of the years. You get off to a good start in the Christian life and then, well, the years take their toll. Over time, we can, each of us, grow weary, become disenchanted, even hurt by Christians, even hurt by churches, even hurt by pastors and other leaders. And so disappointment can set in causing us maybe not to finish the race well, and in effect to do something like that which Demas did. Look at it again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me, and here's what he did, gone to Thessalonica. It exists today. It's a place in Greece. What's significant about that? Well, that's his hometown. You can get disappointed in the present Christian experience and find yourself gravitating back to the old and familiar, which didn't serve you well to begin with, but there you go. So Demas went back to his hometown. He was familiar with it. You and I have been redeemed from the past, our old patterns and ways and proclivities, and if you get disappointed in the Christian life, that's the first place you're gonna return. The old habits, the old coping mechanisms, the old friends, the old neighborhood, the old choices, that's what he did. So then, Demas may have drifted because he was disappointed. Secondly, Demas may have drifted because he was distracted. By what? By life. Specifically by the things of this life. Look at the verse, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, having loved this present world. What's there to love about it? Good night, it is seductive. 
You can be entrapped by it. It's enticing. It wants your heart. It wants your affections. To bring this home, here how, is how that uh, verse is translated in a few other translations. Demas, having set a high value upon this present age. Demas set a high value upon this present age. Here's another rendering. Demas has fallen in love with the present world. You can do it. It's attractive. It's enticing. It is seductive. Now, I want to show you something. It's something Paul said uh, to Timothy, whom he was mentoring. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul said, in the future, there's laid up for me. Paul said this. What? A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, he's the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And by anticipation, Paul is saying, lest you think it's just me, he adds, no, no, not only to me, also to all who have loved his appearing. So while Paul is challenging Timothy to love his appearing, Demas had chosen to love this present world. Why? Because each of us is in love with something. Demas was in love with this world. For Demas, the present world became irresistible. He came to a point in his life where he found it to be easier to resist the Lord than to resist the stuff of the world. Could I ask you a kind of diagnostic question? Rhetorical, just answer it for yourself. It's this, which is more irresistible to you? Is it the Lord or the things of this world? How would you answer? What the world offered Demas became, at a certain point, more irresistible to him than what the Lord offered. And so he chose to live for the passing present than for the forever future. What time is it for you? What time are you living for? Demas lived for now time, and it distracted him from the reality of then time. The now world will pass. The then world is all that will last. But Demas, disappointed and distracted by the now world, he drifted away from the Lord, and as far as we could tell, he didn't finish well. That terrifies me, because I don't think I'm that different than Demas. This could happen to me. This could happen to you. So I gave some thought. What is the singular thing, if there is one, that can most ensure, I ask this of myself, that I'll finish well. What is the one thing I could do to increase the probability that I will finish well? I think I identified it. I'm going to share it with you. It's this. Find the Lord once again to be irresistible. That's it. Find him once again to be irresistible. Renew the romance reinvigorate your first love. Reestablish daily communion with him. In order to not be disappointed, in order to not be distracted, be 
with the Lord Jesus daily. I'm going to tell you how in just a second, but first, let me tell you this. Uh, I was in the Air Force a long time ago, and then I was in the Army. I couldn't cut it in the Air Force. They had lower standards in the Army, so I <laughs> crossed the line. And uh, while in the Air Force, I was stationed at a place called Offutt Air Force Base, Strategic Air Command Headquarters. A lot of big brass. I was elected Airman of the Year at Offutt Air Force Base. If it sounds like I'm bragging, it is because I am. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Airman of the Year. It brought with it all kinds of perks and privileges. I get a call one night from the uh, captain who was the assistant to the four-star general who was the commander of the base. His name was General Doherty, four stars. The captain identified himself and said to me, uh, the general would like for you to be his guest tomorrow morning at a breakfast, at which time he will introduce you as the airman of the year. Prior to the public event, the general wants to have some private time with you just to get to know you. The general wants to meet with me. I said to the captain, well, let me check my schedule. No, I didn't do that at all. I didn't do that. I said, absolutely, thank you for calling. Got off the phone and started quickly to prepare for my private meeting with the general tomorrow. I got out my uniform. I hung it on the hanger. I made sure everything was aligned. I polished the brass. I got out shoes. You spit shine. In those days, you would spit shine them. Today, they have shoes that always have a shine on them. It's different. But I just did it. I got it together. I could hardly sleep that night in anticipation with my meeting, meeting with the general the next morning. And then on that occasion, it hit me. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting all lathered up, excited, and prepared to meet with a mere man. When I have an open invitation to meet with the king of all kings, I could meet with the general's creator as Abba Father. Why do we neglect doing it? Now, let me tell you how to do it. It's real simple. Meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ is conversation back and forth. So here's what I do. I start in the morning because I don't want the rest of the day to squeeze me out. I find a private place and I begin to praise him. What is praise? It's to reflect on who God is. That's it. Because you want to remember in whose company you are. I just praise him. Oh God, I praise you for your sovereignty and your goodness and your holiness and your compassion. In fact, the Bible refers to you, oh God, as being long-suffering. Thank you for being long-suffering with one such as I. Oh God, thank you for your mercy and grace and that you have forgiven me. Oh God, thank you for the assurance of heaven which you have given to me freely. Lord Jesus, thank you for adopting me into your family. Oh God, I don't know how you do it, but you're listening to my conversation and you're able to listen to the conversations of all those who call upon your name. You're everywhere all the time. Oh God, there's nothing you cannot do. You're omnipotent. Lord Jesus, even before I utter words, you know what they are because you're omniscient. You see what praise is? That's what I do first. <clears throat> Second, then I thank God. If praise is acknowledging 
God for who he is, thanksgiving is simply thanking him for what he's done. Oh God, I thank you for the new life you have given me. It's the abundant life for sure. Man, Lord Jesus, when this is over, thank you for the assurance of eternal life. Thank you for giving me a family. Thank you for giving me a supply, materially, vocationally, all the rest. Thank you for giving me a magnificent church. Thank you for giving me a wonderful pastor. Thank you for giving me health and well-being at times. Thank you for using all things for the good, even when they hurt. I'm thanking God for what he has done. You see, praise for who God is. Thanksgiving for what he's done. That's how you start. Third thing, now you start talking to God. You pray to him. But I know a lot of people, I'm one of them, you say, I don't know what to say to God. Listen, this is easy. If you're thinking it or if you're feeling it, express it. That's it. If you're thinking it, if you're feeling it, talk about it. It doesn't have to be ornate and dignified and in any particular order you say father let me just unburden myself and tell you what's on my mind in no particular order you express your feelings you express your thoughts you praise him you thank him you speak to him and now you listen to him how do you do that crack open the word of god that's how you do it You've spoken to him in praise and thanksgiving and an expression of what's on your heart and mind. Now you sit back quietly. You sit at his feet and you listen to him. Where? Anywhere in the Bible. But my recommendation is start at the beginning of the book and stay in it until you finish it. Don't be hunting around here, there, and everywhere because then you're prone to take something out of context. When I was a new Christian, I spent the first probably year and a half of my Christian life in these morning times with God in the Psalms. There are 150 of them. Why did I do that? Because it, it, cognitively, I think I was okay. I knew theologically who Jesus was and what he had done, and I didn't think I, I had a problem with my beliefs, but I had a problem with my heart. I, I knew God as the great beyond transcendent deity, but I wanted to know him more as the God who came near. I wanted to know him as Emmanuel. I knew him, uh, that he's referred to as Abba, Father. I knew him as Father in all of his might and transcendence, but I wanted to know him as Abba. And I had a hard time with that. So I found my way to the Psalms because they emote the writer of the Psalms is sometimes angry, sometimes needy, sometimes depressed, sometimes anxious. Man, I could relate to all that. And so I stayed in the Psalms. I recommend it to you. Start in Psalm 1, keep going till you get to Psalm 150. Get to know God relationally. And then after that, so you praised him, you thanked him, you've shared your heart and mind with him, you've listened to him, and then I just respond. It's just a common courtesy. You hear from someone, you respond. So too with God. I say, oh God, thank you for sharing this. It might be something I, I pray for myself or another. It might be something leading me to confess. And at the end of it all, I say, oh God, thank you. I look forward to meeting with you privately tomorrow. And all that can be done in five to ten minutes. Don't say you're too busy. Come on. Morning time with God. Do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about something Jonathan Edwards, the great Jonathan Edwards, referred to as the religion 
of the closet. You go to your private place. Listen, it is magnificent to come together here Sundays for the corporate experience of being with fellow like-minded worshipers and giving to our Father what he loves when his kids are together. Don't get me wrong. I love the church. I don't want to stay away from it. I'm committed to it. But I don't think Jesus died for me so that I could have only the corporate experience. I think he died for me so that I could cultivate a personal, private experience with him. The religion of the closet. That's what we're talking about. There was a British Christian, kind of well-known, well-connected in England, who was doing this one time. He was having his alone time with God, his religion of the closet, but then the phone rang. It was from the Queen of England. He thought about the call for just a second and then concluded... The queen, the queen will have to wait. I'm meeting with the king of kings. Folks, if you want to finish well, please renew your romance with the Lord Jesus Christ. Something's gotten in the way so that you're distracted and disappointed, prone to wander. Renew the relationship with him. Jesus, you see, promised us an abundant life. Let me remind you that the abundant life will not be found in another person. It will not be found in another position. And it will not be found in another place. And those are the three things you and I, unsatisfied Christians, are investing in. Another relationship, another person, another job, another position, another locale, another place. These things are not inherently wrong, but they're not the source of an abundant life. Jesus is. Run to him. I told my wife at my funeral, if I go before her, and uh, she keeps treating me the way she is, I think I will. (laughs) I told her at my funeral, I want my favorite hymn to be sung, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We can be distracted from it. Turn your, hey, let's sing it. Sing it with me. You know what? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. How? In the light of his glory. See, you could lose sight of it. You could become distracted and disappointed, just like Demas. If there's a formula for success, for finishing well, it's renew your private communion daily with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it. It will keep you and I from being being disappointed and from being distracted. Now, I can tell you what may keep us from doing it. If you think the Lord is holding something against you, is disappointed with you, doesn't like you, you'll stay away from him. Think about it. If there's someone here, even at church, you think doesn't like you, I'll tell you what you do. It's what I do. You do everything you can to avoid that person. (laughs) That's how we do it with God. If we're not persuaded of his unconditional love, We'll avoid meeting with him. Don't do that. Jesus not only likes you, he loves you. 
How do I know this? Because he gave a grand invitation that you don't give to people you don't like. Here it is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. A couple weeks ago, Jimmy, our wonderful worship leader, mentioned this is perhaps his favorite verse. Look at this invitation. Come to me. Jesus doesn't say that to people he doesn't like. Come to me. All. Look what qualifies you for him who are weary and heavy laden. Who isn't? And I'll give you a piece of my mind. I'll give you rest. Folks, when daily communion with the Lord Jesus ceases, we're going to be more prone to be disappointed and distracted and to drift and not finish well. We were made for communion with him, made in his likeness. As he has a mind, emotions, and will, so too we have been given a mind to think about him, a heart to love him, and a will to obey him. And when we use those God-given faculties primarily in other ways, uh, we're drifting away from the primary purpose for which we were made. It is for time with the Lord Jesus. So, I'm in the military many years ago. I was led to the Lord by a really neat guy who led not only me, but several others also to Christ. He proposed that on one Saturday morning, we should all get up, meet in the parking lot at this military base, mount up in vehicles and go to a wooded area. There we would spread out uh, to be alone, each of us with the Lord, an extended time of prayer for about 30, 40 minutes. Then we'd meet together as a group and share our experiences. Good idea. So we meet fairly early in the morning on this military installation to get in vehicles to go. I said to the leader, his name was Mark, I said, Mark, hey, uh, not ready just yet. I need to get some breakfast. He said, what do you mean? We planned this a week ago. We're ready to go. We're going to go pray. I said to him, ah, I'm hungry. I can't pray when I'm hungry. I'm going to be praying about food. <laughs> he said, absolutely not. We're not going to tie up the whole effort here just because of you and your hunger. You can handle it for an hour. So I said, okay, fine. So I got in the car, back of a car, made no conversation with anyone else, arms folded, just like a spoiled little brat. We arrive at the location, wooded area. We dismount to go to our private places in the woods there to meet with God. I don't want to meet with God. I'm hungry. I've been obnoxious. I'm in a bad mood. I got a bad attitude. I'm not ready to meet with God. So I thought I'll just walk through the woods, hang out. Half an hour later, I'll emerge from the woods, meet up with the other guys and get it over with and then go get a hamburger or something. So I'm in the woods. I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I can't get away from God. I wanted to. I was offended by the reality of his presence. I tried to get away from God in the very woods he created. Doesn't that sound like some other folks way back in Genesis? Adam and Eve, they hid from the Lord uh, in the very area that, that he created. But that's what I'm doing. And then I suddenly realized I cannot evade 
God, there's no place I can go to escape his presence. I might as well make do with the God who was there. So I let the Bible open to a place, and it was Psalm 139. I'll read you what I read. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. I could not evade God. Therefore, since he's in pursuit of me, why should I run from him? So I stopped doing it and established daily communion with the Lord Jesus. He's there. He's accessible. We are made for him. If anything can ensure we will finish well, it isn't pastors, it isn't counselors, it isn't church. It's meeting privately with the Lord Jesus and allowing him to pour himself into you and I. And redirect our gaze. Apart from daily communion with him, the Christian life can become absolute drudgery, devoid of joy. Look, I close with this story. Some years ago, I was invited to a beautiful conference center, which I'm told doesn't exist anymore. It's called Ridgecrest Conference Center, North Carolina. It was a Baptist uh, uh, encampment, beautiful conference center. I was invited to speak. It was in the hills of North Carolina. I think it was called the Black Hills. I don't remember. So I had responsibilities to speak in the morning, then in the evening, which meant I had a lot of time during the day, and I made use of it. There was Ridgecrest Conference Center, and behind it were the Black Hills, beautiful wooded area. Here I go into the woods again. Well, there was a trail leading up into the hills, and there was a trail ahead. I got on it, and I'm just walking. I was alone. It was just absolutely beautiful. It was so good to be alone there and enjoy the Black Hills of North Carolina. And I got to the top, to the summit, sometime later. And I thought, well, it's time to return because we were having a six o'clock session. I was the speaker. So I had to come down off the mountain to get to the session. But I didn't want to take the trail again. I already saw what that was like. You know, I want to be a trailblazer. Guy from New York in the hills of North Carolina, trailblazer. So anyway, I didn't want to take the hill. So I decided, let me just go down through the woods. And I'll get down, you know, and I'll go to the meeting. I have time to clean up, then I'll go to the meeting. Well, man, I got lost in the woods. It got real thick. The briars, the brambles, I was getting caught, cut up. In fact, at one time, I couldn't go down forward, down the hill. I had to go backwards because think the thorns of it all were cutting me up. It was just that thick. I lost my way. I didn't know what direction I was in. I wasn't equipped. I had no water. I was wearing shorts and a short sleeve shirt. I am bleeding at this point. I finally get down to a road. It was about a mile away from the conference center. Well, I was there anyway at the bottom, and so I make my way to the conference center, and I, I see what time it is. Oh, man, I'm not going to have time to shower up and get cleaned up. I got to get into the meeting. So I went in like that. People were looking at me. What is wrong with that guy? 
Well, uh, we were worshiping. There were songs, bloodied, dry, tired, lost. I participated in the songs. There was a time to meet and greet people around you. I participated in the fellowship. Then it was time to get up and speak. I got up like that. I was able to speak about the Lord Jesus. I did it all bloodied, parched, tired, dirty. And I'm afraid that that often is how many of us do the Christian life. We can gather together, but on the inside, we're parched, we're thirsty, we're tired, we're dry, we're bloody. We can sing the songs. We can smile at one another. We can talk about Jesus and his word. But we're on empty. There's nothing to draw on. There's no fuel in the tank. We could go through the motions. We could fake it. Don't do it. Run to Jesus. Look daily, full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Why do it? Why seek him who is seeking you? Because I know your heart's desire and mine, whether we can verbalize it this way or not, is this. When, not if, when we finally see him face to face, I know what you and I desperately want him to say. We want him to say, welcome home. And then we want him to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Don't you want that? I want that. Do what it takes, therefore, to finish well and be worthy of that declaration from the very mouth of the King of Kings. Meet with him now, daily. Start tomorrow. Increase the probability of one day hearing from the Lord Jesus. Good job. Now enter into eternal bliss, good and faithful servant. Thank you for joining us for this message from God's Word. We pray that the Holy Spirit spoke to you today. And if you would like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you would like to connect with Sagemont Church, please text keyword online to 70919 anytime, anyplace. Once again, text online to 70919. One of our pastors will be happy to connect with you. Sagemont Church is located in Houston, Texas. Visit our website at sagemontchurch.org and join us for worship Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. Central Time.